Well, welcome to Horizon. It is such a privilege to meet with you, with your family, in your home, on your TV, on your iPad, or on your iPhone. We're getting so many encouraging messages from folks. I just got one moments ago before we went on to film. It says, I want to thank you again. The voicemail, the prayers, and today's message was exactly what I needed. Thank you for all you do, and I will keep you in my prayers for safety and good health. Besides online services, we are looking forward to calling personally and helping pray with you and help you during this challenging time. Because what many of us have heard is what, what we're doing as a culture right now is trying to flatten the curve, right? Flatten the curve. It starts here and it's building, 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 building up. And we're trying to keep that thing flat. Now you've heard about all the medical flattening of the curve. I'm talking about the irritation with your family, right? You've been living with your family now seven, 21, a month, way too much proximity. And the irritation level has gone from, I like my family, uh, I tolerate my family, uh, I think we're ready to kill each other, right? We wanna flatten the curve of the stress level we're all in during this time. In fact, that could be the, the catchphrase for spandex, right? We're here to flatten your curve. So how do we really push down and deal with this issue of social distancing? In fact, we've been in such close proximity with our family, some of us need a little family distancing right now, right? In fact, my son, he owns his own video production company, so he works out of the house, and he's been a bit of an introvert and gamer his whole life. He came up to me this week and said, Dad, social distancing, I finally have a name for my lifestyle. I thought, hmm, that might be right. I have another buddy of mine who's a business owner, he posted on Facebook that he had some big weekend plans. He said, yeah, the family's got some weekend plans. We're looking at the map for some weekend travel plans. Dining room, may head to the laundry room, or maybe we'll head over to the bath, right? How do we deal with the stress of being in this close proximity with people we love, but they might be driving us crazy? One thing that's helpful is to understand what's going on inside of our soul during this time. Psychologists have a test, and that test is called the Life Index Scale. Let's look at that together. See, the Life Stress Index tells you like what different circumstances in life create what level of stress. To give an example, the death of a spouse is a hundred level stress on a human being. A divorce is 73. So just imagine, if you've been through a divorce, if you've had someone you care about die, how painful, how stressful, how overwhelming that can be. But notice this, going through illness is a 53. The fear of a family member dying, the fear of illness. Look at the level of stress, just having an illness or two people in your family with an illness is the equivalent of the death of a spouse. If you're fired from a job, 47 level of stress. Or with all the uncertainty in our culture right now, it's the I wonder if I'm gonna have a job or I'm trying to make decisions on how to keep people's jobs. An illness in your family, it's not your illness, 53, but my spouse, my kid, my mother, 44. Start adding some of these numbers together in your own soul and you're like, wow, I'm already over the 100 that's the death of a spouse. A business readjustment. Aren't we all engaging in business readjustments right now? 39 level stress, and that's a minor adjustment, not a total overhaul. Change in your finances, 38. Increase in the number of fights with your family, with your spouse, 
35. Your spouse stops working, 26. A change in work hours, 20. See, the reason our soul and our spirit is so overwhelmed right now is we have stressors, big, big stressors coming at us from all sides. And God wants you to know it's okay to be sorrowful. It's okay to be overwhelmed and to bring that into his presence, to invite him into your stress, to help bring rest to your soul. In fact, today as we look at Jesus' unbelievable 24 hours that he's facing scourgings and beatings and crucifixion and denial and betrayal and the whole town going from Hosanna to crucify him. He has a principle for us that I think can apply in helping us deal with our stress. And here's the principle. Triumph. You can have triumph in an hour of trial, not just from the hour of trial. See, the way I pray most times is, God, get me out of this. Take this cup from me. I want triumph by getting out of or from this hour of trial. Remember in the garden Jesus said, take this cup from me, but if not, not my will, but your will, I want to have triumph while I'm in this hour of trial. Now that idea might just seem ridiculous. It might seem ridiculous to think, oh my goodness, Chad, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the pressures I'm under, and and I don't. What I'm going to tell you is that Jesus, he found a way to have triumph of courage and strength and love and forgiveness in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances. And Paul picks up on this idea with a verse about triumph. Here's what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Now think about that. Thanks be to God because he can always lead you into triumph, always, through Christ Jesus, and through us, he diffuses a fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Now understand this idea, we need to really understand what a triumph is. Because remember, Jesus was living during the time of the Roman occupation. And during that Roman occupation, this would have been unthinkable. In fact, all three of these principles are unthinkable. And yet they are a way that we can experience triumph in the midst of trial. The first principle is this. Triumph can occur everywhere and anywhere. Like Chad, I'm trying to survive, not triumph. But look at the two words that Paul uses here. Thanks be to God who always, always leads us in triumph in Christ, blah, 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 in every place. He's saying you can always have triumph and you can have it in every place. Now, you might think that's ridiculous, right? You might say there is no way that can happen in my circumstance. But the people who got this letter would have felt the same way. Let me talk a little bit about a Roman triumph. A Roman triumph was something that Roman generals used, then used later by emperors. If you remember Julius Caesar, after he was killed, there was a big battle going on in in the Roman world. Are we gonna be an emperor or are we gonna have a republic? Eventually, the emperor won. And 
Caesar Augustus, or Tiberius, his name, the son of Julius Caesar, went to battle and he decided he was gonna make it an emperor. And so as an emperor, he made a triumph for his father, Julius Caesar, and a triumph for himself to say, I am now the son of my father, divine Julius. Divine. Julius was God, emperor God, and I am the son of divine Julius. This was a way that emperors declared themselves to be God, or in this case, the son of God. They would walk through the the, the Roman sacred way, incense everywhere. Tiberius started putting on the coins minted in Rome, Tiberius, son of divine Augustus. In other words, Tiberius was claiming to be the son of God, the son of Julius. And there would be people everywhere, noise everywhere, incense everywhere, just triumphe, triumphe. And so this word that he's using here, it was a word that the Romans would have said, there is no, there's no way that Christians are gonna experience triumph. Triumph is what we do when we dominate these Jews and dominate these Christians later on. So what would happen is they would leave from the forum at Julius Caesar and the emperor would make their way up to the temple of Mars, the god of war. And this was Tiberius' way of saying, hey, listen, you killed my dad, but we're gonna take revenge and we're gonna sacrifice and declare my dad God before the, the god Mars, the god of war. We are taking back power. This is what real triumph is. Then, if you remember seeing the Arch of Titus, If you look just inside the Arch of Titus, there are treasures in there. The menorah is in there and different things that the generals or emperors took or stole from those they conquered. So a triumph was a way of saying, one, who is God? Who is the son of God? What is victory? And look at the treasures that come with it. So if you talk to a Christian receiving the letter from Paul and it said you can have triumph using a word that the Romans used to declare their victory over the Jews, They would have said, what are you talking about? But here's what Paul is saying to you and to me. We can experience triumph anywhere and everywhere. How? Well, let me tell you how. You see, if God can do it there on the cross in Rome, then he can do it here. What if that was your mantra? You said, you know, God... I don't really believe you can bring triumph here in this hour of trial, but if you could do it there in Rome, if you could do it with them being fed the lions, do it with them being burnt at the stake, God, if you can do it there on a cross, if you can do it there, then Father, I'm gonna trust you to do it here. And that's just not some story from a long, long time ago. There's stories every day of people finding that God is faithful and he can do it here in the hour of trial, just like he did it there. In fact, maybe you remember the story of of Kim Fu. She was known in Vietnam as the napalm girl. She's that famous picture of the little girl naked running from the bombing. She was interviewed recently and she described the pain she was in. She had napalm all over her. She was burning, her whole body was burning and she couldn't believe that a photographer was taking her picture. She said, why is he taking that picture of me? She was so angry. Innocence, bombed for no reason at all. And she said that experience, the worst of the worst moment, being 
bombed and then taking a naked picture of yourself for all the world to see. Yet she said as, as she grew up, she began to seek after God. And someone gave her a copy of the New Testament. And she read Jesus' words about forgiving your enemies. She's like, that's ridiculous. But she had so much pain. In fact, she said she went through 17 surgeries. that Her body was so burned she can't sweat. Which causes even additional problems, even with those 17 surgeries. And even though it seemed ridiculous to forgive her enemies, she was tired of being eaten up inside. And she decided to try it. She forgave her enemies and she began to follow the teachings of Jesus. She said her heart began to come alive again. She began to have life and joy and forgiveness in her heart in a way she never thought possible. And she realized if Jesus could look at those who crucified him and say, Father, forgive them, you know not, they know not what they do. She could do the same things to those who bombed her. What's amazing about Kim's story is she said that God so transformed her that she used to hate that picture of Napalm Girl. Just hated it. But now she sees that God used that circumstance, a terrible, horrible circumstance, to actually bring her to find peace and joy that she never would have known. She was asked recently by a reporter, when you see that picture now, what do you think? She said, I'm thankful. Thankful? Thankful. If Kim Fu could find a way to find forgiveness and power and triumph in the face of being Napalm Girl, maybe you and I could trust that that same God who gave her strength could do it for us. In fact, I got a, a recent uh, phone call. One of the things we're doing as a church during this time is we're trying to do a very personal ministry. We're trying to give everybody in the church a phone call if they want and if we can. If you've not gotten one yet, contact us at the church. We're trying to pray for you, uh, check in on you, let us know what's going on. I had a conversation this week with a friend. She said, Chad, one of the most amazing things happening during this coronavirus is I was estranged from my son for many, many years. We just started tiptoeing toward reconciliation back in October. But ever since this, this time we've had to kind of be locked down together, God has continued to work in my heart and his heart his family came and stayed with us for a week. And Chad, it is a miracle. I never would have thought we'd ever be reconciled again. And God used this trial, this challenge, this difficulty to bring us back together. Listen, I don't know what triumph looks like for you. I don't. But I know that God can triumph for you anywhere and everywhere because he's done it before. Because God did it there, he can do it here. So that's our first point. What's the second aspect of triumph? Well, let me show you. So again, our second point is that triumph can occur differently than I expect. Isn't that what we just heard with Kim's story? And my friend's story from church? It didn't look the way I thought it would. It wasn't the kind of triumph I thought it would be. Triumph might look differently than you expect. And that is certainly true of those hearing the story of Jesus and hearing this letter from Paul. Now thanks be to God. Thanks, he's got thanksgiving in the middle of a time of incredible persecution. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. In triumph. This is a different kind of triumph than they knew about. Different than the Romans had. This is different than what they expected. 
in Christ. And through us, he diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. What kind of triumph might God bring into your circumstance that's different from this circumstance? Now remember, we have Tiberius, otherwise known as Caesar Augustus, the son of divine Julius Caesar. He stamps on the coins. Hey, I'm not just an emperor, I'm the son of God. So if you ask anyone in Rome, who's God? It was Julius. Who's the son of God? It's Tiberius or Caesar Augustus. And all of a sudden, we have four biographies of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I wanna talk about Mark for a second. Mark specifically is writing about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus to Greek and Romans. And he's trying to convince Greeks and Romans who think triumph is about defeat, defeating other people, and the cross is about being dominated. He's gotta try and convince his Roman audience that when Jesus died on the cross, it was actually a triumph, not a defeat. So he opens the words this way. Mark says, the beginning of the good news, the gospel, of Jesus Christ, and look at these words, the Son of God. Now we go, yeah, yeah, we hear it all the time. Yeah, but this was like a battle cry. Tiberius is not the Son of God. No, 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 no. The real Son of God is Jesus, and he's here. He's gonna show you what real triumph looks like. It's not what you expect. Not what the Romans talked about, not what the Greeks talked about, but it is something powerful that you and I can hold on to right here and right now. Let me walk you through the steps of a Roman triumph. The emperor first had to be welcomed by the Praetorian Guard, because if you didn't have the Praetorian Guard celebrating you and supporting you, you weren't going to be the emperor. Two, you were given a purple robe. Purple could only be used by royalty, only used by the emperor. It was taken off a statue of Dionysus. We'll get to that in a second. And you're, you're bringing it through the town in your triumph. Three, the soldiers then, before all the crowd, would declare you to be uh, the king. Hail Caesar, is what they would say. Then the emperor would be led down the sacred way. Five, he'd be brought to a Capital, a Capitoline Hill, otherwise known as Head Hill. He would then be given wine and he would pour that wine out as a way of saying, I'm gonna pour myself out as your leader. Then he would ascend to that hill with two witnesses, brother, sister, important generals, affirming that he is the emperor and the divine one. And lastly, there were heavenly signs. Julius Caesar, there was a meteor. Sometimes there'd be, there'd be birds flying over, any sign from the heavens. So keep that in mind. Let me walk you through the process of a Roman triumph just so we understand what they were thinking when they heard the word triumph. So again, we have our emperor, beautiful emperor here. The emperor has to go through these steps to have a triumph. So step one, he had the Praetorian guard and they had to be on his side. And during a triumph, they would say, Hail Caesar, Lord and God, Lord and King. Then he'd be led on the sacred way on a path that would lead to the temple of Jupiter. Then he would be placed a purple robe. Only royalty could wear purple. It would be taken off Dionysus, the god of wine, who's also known as the dying and rising from the dead god. A way of saying that this emperor is divine. He's immortal. 
just like Dionysus. The spirit of Dionysus was on him with his purple robe. Next, he would be led with a sacrifice, typically a bull. So the bull would lead with him on its way to be sacrificed on behalf of the emperor. There'd be incense everywhere. Some of the reports from historians say millions of pounds of incense burned all through the streets. This fragrance of the emperor, fragrance of triumph all around them. Then they would make their way up to the crowd and the crowd would begin to cry out. And the crowd would say, triumphe, triumphe, hail Caesar. Then he'd be given a cup of wine, which he would take and pour out as a way of saying, I'm poured out for my, for my people. He would go up the steps of Capitoline Hill. Now the reason it was called Capitoline Hill is because there was a myth that when they built this temple to Jupiter, while they were excavating it, they found a human intact head. And that rumor or that myth led to them calling this Capitoline Hill or Head Hill. They made their way up the stairs of Head Hill and when they got to the top, two witnesses were there who would affirm that they indeed were the, the, the Lord and God, the emperor. And then they would stand there and they would be declared at the temple of Jupiter, which is the father God spirit of the Romans, that they were indeed God on earth. So this is what people understood triumph to be. Now keep that in mind because when Mark is writing, he's gonna want to have people understand how Jesus follows a very similar process and triumphs in a very different way. And let me show you some of the actual archeological finds here to help us understand what that triumph looked like. This is Capitoline Hill, Head Hill. Imagine the emperor making his way up. The bull has been sacrificed. He's wearing a purple robe. There's two witnesses there cheering. Here he is, Lord and King, hail Caesar. He makes his way to the top. He pours out the wine right here on those steps, declaring himself in triumph at the temple of Jupiter. Now, I told you that triumph would look very, very different. Well, that's exactly what happens. In fact, let me show you how Mark writes this so you can understand just how different it is. Then the soldiers led him away. This is Mark writing about Jesus. Notice the comparison here as a very different triumph. They led Jesus away into a place called the Praetorium. Why? Because Jesus is standing before the Praetorian guard, step one. And they called together the whole garrison. And they, the Praetorian guard, clothed him with purple. Only emperors get declared with purple or clothed with purple. What they did in mockery was actually following a Roman triumph. And they twisted a crown of thorns on his head. The Praetorian guard are declaring him king. Remember they say, hail Caesar, hail king of the Jews. The soldiers then began to salute him. There's the first two steps. Hail, king of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him. And bowing the knee, they worshiped him. Then they led him out. Remember the next step? Leading on the sacred way. They led him on a way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. 
Now we're not in Rome, we're in Jerusalem, but see the pattern? To crucify him. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. Now Jesus, the sacrifice, is escorting another man down the sacred way. Now we're on to the next step. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha. Again, we're in Jerusalem, not Rome. What does Golgotha mean? Which is translated the place of a skull. And if you're a Roman reading this, you're like, oh my goodness, this is not like a triumph I've ever heard, but this is an actual triumph. He keeps going. Then they gave him wine, just like the emperor, mingled with myrrh to drink. He didn't take it. He pours it out because he's pouring his life out for his people. With him, they also crucified two robbers. There's two people on the top of Golgotha on that hill attesting to him, right? Doesn't one say? Shut your mouth, right? This guy is, is, is innocent on the right side and on the other side. And so the scripture was fulfilled. What Mark is telling Romans who knew triumph should look like this is Jesus came, he defeated death, he's gonna defeat uh, hatred, he's gonna defeat everything about the Roman Empire and eventually the whole Roman Empire will be turned upside down by Jesus. This triumph on the cross isn't what anyone expected. But if Jesus could do it here, he can do it in your life as well and in mine. And triumph may it may not look like what you hoped or what you thought it would. Triumph might look differently than you expect. But if God could triumph there, then he can do it here. And this is not just some religious, magical thinking type of thing. Right? Remember Steve Jobs? He gave a, a commencement address and he said he would not have been where he was had he not first gone through the public humiliation of being fired from the company he started at age 30. He said, but if it wasn't for that failure, I wouldn't have had my later triumph. Because I hit rock bottom, being fired from Apple, I started next. And then Pixar. It gave me freedom I didn't have before. It gave me innovation I didn't have before. It gave me the spirit of I gotta find a way to make this work. In fact, here's what he says. He says, it was awful tasting medicine but I guess the patient needed it. And we know he eventually triumphed, coming back to Apple. I don't know what triumph looks like for you, but God wants to be with you in your hour of trial. J.K. Uh, Rowling said the same thing. She gave a commencement speech called The Benefits of Failure in 2008. She described how at the time of her own graduation from college, her greatest fear was failure. And yet, she said it was also the foundation of her eventual success. Because failure stripped away what Rawling called the inessential, struggling through that defeat broke her down to a state where all she had left was her true character. Failure revealed her true character. She said, I stopped pretending to myself that I was anything other than what I was. I began to direct all my energy into finishing the only work that mattered to me. I was set free. I was set free because my greatest fear had been realized and I was still alive and I still had a daughter whom I adored and I had an old typewriter and a big idea and so rock bottom became the solid foundation on which I rebuilt my life.
I'll never forget the junior summer of my college years. My grandfather's health continued to go downhill. And I did not necessarily, wasn't looking forward to spending a large portion of my time taking care of grandpa. I had a lot of things planned for that summer, but I spent a lot of time at grandpa's house, feeding him, talking to him, washing him, changing his his, uh, diaper and other things. And my grandfather was a Marine. My grandpa, man, he never wanted anyone to to serve him. He loved serving other people. And it was so hard for him to receive service, to receive care. And it was amazing because I think both of us got a kind of triumph we didn't expect. I found that this was one of the last summers I had before my grandfather died. And I was so grateful for the opportunity to be there with my grandpa. I look back at that moment as a moment of triumph. I think for many of us, we're really good at serving. We're like my grandfather, the Marine. We're good at helping take hills for other people. But I want to encourage you that during this time, your triumph might be being humble enough to receive service, to receive help from other people. Don't be too proud that you're robbing other people of the triumph of serving you. That's what we're about as a church. That's why we're offering online services. That's why we're having these, these vignettes that we're sending out in our, in our newsletter twice a week. That's why we're trying to call and interact and, and have you feel connected to somebody at our church. Let us serve you. And if you have some energy and some money for serving other people, step into the game with us. Let's triumph in our hour of trial. All right, triumph might look differently than you expect. But let me show you a third aspect of triumph. The third aspect of triumph is that triumph diffuses the fragrance of victory. Remember all that incense? It diffuses a fragrance of victory. Look what Paul's saying here. Thank, thanks to be God, thanks be to God, who leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses. Something comes out of us, the fragrance of his knowledge. Notice the word his. When we're in the hour of trial, when we're under pressure and difficulty, God wants the fragrance that's in us, the same thing you would smell in a Roman triumph, to come out of us. So people say, wow, normal people couldn't have that kind of peace in this circumstance. That's right. It's not my peace. It's his knowledge, his peace, his forgiveness. It's God doing a work in me. And it's diffusing. People around you are seeing what's in you come out, but it's not you. It's the strength of your God. That's what he's saying here. He wants there to be a fragrance of victory in people who follow Jesus. They have triumph even in the face of challenges. Now remember our steps again. Remember what Mark was saying? Just like there was a triumph, and in that triumph the Romans had, there's a different type of triumph that Jesus' followers have. As they walk through life, as they, they, they're, they're royal, they're adopted by the king of the kings, the king of the universe. 
And the fragrance, remember all that fragrance we talked about? The fragrance that comes out of you and I is an aroma The people around us can smell something different, something fresh, something strong, something peaceful. Now think of every good action movie you've ever seen, right? Every good action movie doesn't start off with Rocky Balboa or whoever it is immediately winning the fight. No, it's in the process of the movie, they fight a bad guy, defeat. They fight another bad guy, some defeat. Another bad guy, some defeat. They get rid of some henchmen, but they gotta go get the big bad guy. Finally, there's a big battle at the end. And in the process of all of that, what comes out of our lead character is you find out how strong they are, how innovative they are. You find out what they can overcome. The same thing happens here. It's through the process of the cross and the triumph of Jesus on that cross that he was able to overcome evil and hatred and even death itself. And the same thing for you and I. God wants to do something in you and I that the fragrance of victory will come out of us. The way we love each other, the way we trust God despite our circumstances, it will be an aroma of victory to everyone who sees us. That's the path God wants us to walk as we follow the triumph of Jesus. So let's go back to our main idea. Remember, God wants us to triumph in an hour of trial, not from an hour of trial. And this is not just some kind of wishful thinking. There's people all around horizon in the midst of these challenges are finding a God who can give them triumph. In fact, let me tell you a story of a friend of mine who did just that. It was a couple years ago, but it was sitting right here on this stage. Many of you know my friend Tad Lawrence. And Tad, for years would tell people about Jesus. And quite frankly, he would sometimes be kind of annoying doing it and people would kind of be turned off by it. But when he went through pancreatic cancer, all of a sudden people leaned in because Tad had such unbelievable peace and joy facing the hour of trial. We filled this room with just his friends before he died. We sat on a couch right here on the stage and he shared the hope he had, the confidence he had that when he died, he would see Jesus again. And people were struck in this room that he had such confidence in God, but also that he had peace while facing what many of us know in the medical field is one of the worst diagnosed pancreatic cancer. I don't know what it's gonna look like, but I'm encouraging you to trust God in your hour of trial. Let the fragrance of your life, whatever you're going through, be an aroma to everyone around you. And let us know how we can help as a church. In fact, what we wanna do during this time is find how we can meet you and how you can join us in that process. So again, continue to use our online services. Continue to maybe forward a message if it's helpful. Get on our app, Horizon Space CC, or go to our website, horizoncc.com. Sign up for our newsletter at the very bottom, and every week you're going to get little vignettes of little Bible studies you can do and little promises you can hold on to and forward those on to friends if that's helpful. Two, if you're at a place that you can give financially because other people aren't during this time, give financially to what God's doing at Horizon. Allow us to continue the work God's doing here and to look for all the different people in challenging circumstances who have additional benevolence needs and say, how can we bless and help other people during this challenging time? 
And again, we wanna be the kind of church that is small enough that you can get a phone call from us. And if you would like that, email us at the office. Call us at the office. Let us know how we can check in on you because we all need each other to triumph in this hour of trial. Can I pray for us together? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you brought in triumph in the most difficult circumstances. So Father, we want to pray for wisdom in our trials. And you promised us if we prayed, and we prayed in faith, we would not be like the double-minded who are washed to and fro like a wave, but we could have confidence that you would offer us wisdom in the most difficult of trials, that there are manifold trials in this life, but with those manifold trials come manifold grace. And would you give each person listening today the grace they need to triumph as they face their challenges. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I hope this next song can be an encouragement to you of what it looks like for you to triumph and to fight in the midst of your challenges. We'll see you all next week. Thanks.